Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Hello everyone, it's here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. This is the first episode of the year 2023. How is that even possible? You're looking at me like you don't believe me. I don't understand it. Why is it every year it's like this, and every year it gets worse? I know it's got to do with math and perspective and all that business, but I legit don't understand how time works. Well, this I know. Time keeps on ticking, ticking, ticking into the future. Oh. A wise man once said that. There's that. (laughs) Mm. The episode is labeled 502, and we alluded to this in the previous episode that... um, Really, if we're looking at the 500th episode, the first really official 500th episode is not episode 500. No, because we've done bonus episodes and specials and things like that. But we didn't actually know what the 500th was because we can't be bothered to do that kind of math. (laughs) That's way too much work. Um, Special shout out to Zach, Zach Freeman. He's been keeping a spreadsheet of all of our topics since the beginning. I'm so glad because someone's got to. And he wrote to us and said, hey, Kat and JG, I was able to get Boo caught up. And with the holiday specials and bonus episodes, the quote official episode 500 will occur on episode 512. Oh, wow. Okay. So 10 more. Exactly. Wow. So we still have time to think of something special to do. You know, we won't. Probably exactly what will happen is nothing. But uh, but we could think about it. Yep. I would like to do something special. I would love to do something special. I just don't know what. Nope. I feel similarly about this quandary as I did when I started in radio and they were like, you can have a radio name and you should pick one and do it. And I was like, okay. And then I couldn't pick one. And then the day came that was my first day on air and I was like, uh, my my name is my name's Cat. My name's Cat, yeah. and that's yeah. just uh, well, it's easier to remember. That's true. <laughs> I had a friend 
whose name was very common. It was like Jim Brown, something like that. And uh, it's not his real name. I'm protecting his anonymity. But he, uh, he chose a radio name that I love to this day. Thaddeus Kellogg Montgomery. That's a wonderful <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly the simplest and easiest no. to remember, no. but notable. Well, I'm going to jump right into my topic because I have some throat issues today and I want to get through it without, uh, you know, sounding too froggy. Got it. It was August 23rd, a warm day. <gasps> yes, my birthday, coincidentally. It was a warm day in the small Spanish village of Belmez de la Moraleta. The year was 1971. Now, a woman named Marie Gomez Camara was in her kitchen of her house and she was just puttering about. Wait, where was this? In Spain. Okay. Belmez de la... Spain's all I needed. <laughs> Moraleda. Mora... Moraleda. Sounds delicious. Moraleda. As she was puttering in her kitchen, she noticed something strange on her concrete floor. It was an odd-looking stain that she had never noticed before. Over the next few days, the stain began to grow. And soon Maria was startled to see that it began to look more and more like a human face. And even stranger... It was in a slightly different position on the concrete floor than where she had originally noticed it. It it appeared to have moved. Oh, is it mold? She didn't know what it was. She tried to remove the stain by scrubbing the floor with detergents and bleach. No success. Now, I imagine that must have been a bit unsettling to be sitting there at the kitchen table eating your eggs and having what appears to be a human face staring up at you through the concrete floor. (laughs) would affect my appetite. Her husband, whose name was Juan Pereira, and her son Miguel took a pickaxe to the image and destroyed it. And then they laid down some fresh concrete and everything was fine for about a week. And then slowly the face started to reform. Now, what does This, this... reminds yes. me of Buck's Tomb. Buck's Tomb. You did a, uh, an episode on that. It's in your hometown of Bucksport. Then, slowly, the face started to reform on the concrete. Stop it. But even worse, other spots on the kitchen floor started to appear, and all of them resembled the faces of humans. Word started getting around the local village, and uh, the local villagers began banging on Maria's door to see these odd faces. And it wasn't long before members of the parapsychology community, as well as members of the scientific community, began contacting them to find out what the hell was this all about. What's up, yo? The kitchen was sealed under supervision of a notary while experiments were conducted to try to determine how these faces came to be. Detractors had said from the very beginning that Maria painted them on the floor, and this was a hoax for financial gain. Okay. Can you imagine? I want to make some money, but I don't know how. Ah, I'll paint faces on my floor. I mean, was she claiming that it was like a religious thing? She wasn't claiming anything other than there was a strange face on her floor, and she didn't know where it came from. How's that going to make you money? Charging people to... To see the face, which she ultimately did. Oh, all right. Well done, Maria. But after three months of investigation, the painting theory was in fact ruled out, and they were left with no answers as to how these faces came to be. So we know it's not paint. Yes, although there were many people who refused to believe that it was not paint. They didn't agree with the analysis. It was at this point that the family started charging admission for tourists to come in and see the faces. And this continued to stoke the theory that these faces were fake sure. and created by the family for financial gain. 
So the only thing that they could have done to detract from these theories was not make money from it, which is kind of a catch-22. It really is, because it's a weird situation, and if it, in fact, was legit and these faces started appearing in the floor and then villagers started banging on your door to see it, why the hell not make a couple of bucks on right. it? In April of the following year, 1972, a professor, De Argamosa, from Madrid came to the village after reading about this very odd case. He did some research and he discovered several historic documents from around the 17th century about a governor who had been born in Belmez and had murdered five members of a local family. Now, although he was unable to completely pinpoint the exact location of the murders, he was able to narrow it down to determine that at the very least it was nearby, if not actually in the Pereira house. Uh Aha. The house in addition to that, was also located very close to an old church. And on the church property was a centuries-old graveyard. And many thought that the house had been built, perhaps, over part of an old of the old graveyard. And these were the faces of those who had been covered over. Yeah. And why would they care? It's disrespectful, sweetie. All right. And then, of course, the murdered family, if they had been murdered on that land and buried there, then perhaps... These were restless spirits that were creating these odd anomalies. Oh, okay, okay. So the logical thing to do would be to dig the floor up and see what's under it. Obviously. And that's exactly what they did. They started digging. They didn't get down more than a few feet before they actually found human remains. Oh, no. And for whatever reason, some of these skeletons were missing their skulls. There were no heads. The bodies were exhumed and reinterred in uh, the Catholic cemetery nearby. News articles from the time claim that the skeletons that were exhumed dated back about 700 years, long before this house was built. So if the restless spirits of these bodies had created these faces in the concrete, mm-hmm. it would be safe to assume that uh, reinterring them in a Catholic cemetery would put an end to this strange phenomena. Absolutely. So a new concrete floor was laid. But within a very short period of time, just a few weeks, the stains started to reappear. But this time, different faces. Did they look happy? No. Oh, they were angry. There are faces, there are pictures of these faces. and we Can I share. see them? Yeah, sure. Oh my God. Okay, these are much more facey than I expected them to be. They are very facey. I thought it was going to be like that grilled cheese that was supposed to look like Jesus. You know, it's just like... Oh, the grilled cheese Jesus. No, that's just toasty. The grilled cheese. Okay, this one here in the middle doesn't look like anything, but this one's definitely a face. And that one looks like the fish man from that episode of The X-Files. Well, there you have it. I thought the one on the left looked a bit like a young Danny Trejo. Oh, because of the stash? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. In June of 1972, one of the faces that had appeared on the floor over a brief period of time seemed to change its expression. Oh. Now, I would have loved to have had a time-lapse photography of that. Yeah. Wouldn't that have been interesting? I feel like if you are in a situation like this, it is your duty to heavy-duty record everything that's going everything. on. Everything. It was at about this point in June of 1972 that paranormal investigators claimed to have captured several EVP recordings. One was the voice of a small child. The others were described as a mixture of, quote, hell and a brothel. How do you know 
what hell sounds like? I picture it as Ashley Simpson outtakes. Oh, God. (laughs) Anyway, in the fall of 1981, after years of these faces appearing and seeming to move over time, both in expression and location, a paranormal investigator named Jose Martinez Romero conducted some research within the house. Now, in his report, he claimed that he witnessed not only several faces, new ones, appearing in the kitchen concrete floor, but that they also would fade and disappear. The same faces, they'd fade in and fade out over a relatively short amount of time, like a few hours. Sounds like mold. Brian Dunning of Skeptoid says he believes that these faces are indeed fake, which you wouldn't expect from a guy at Skeptoid. (laughs) He says they were created on the floor using paint and possibly acid. He also believes this to be a hoax for financial gain. In a 2007 book called Los Cares de Belmez, which has a double meaning. It means the, the faces, faces of, of Belmez, Belmez and also means the scoundrels of Belmez, puts forth their conclusion. After much research, they believe the faces are a scam and suggest they say they have evidence that suggests that Maria San Diego was behind this scoundrel. Other scientists, however, conducted investigations and concluded that even though they can't explain it, they can without a doubt conclude that whatever caused these stains was not paint. Jose Javier Grasania, who has a PhD in chemical engineering, along with Luis Alamancos, who is a forensic criminologist, determined that the images were not made of paint and, quote, according to scientific knowledge and techniques employed in the analysis, there is no external manipulation of elements, seemingly ruling out acid as well as paint. Maria died at the age of 85 in February 2004. The faces remain on the floor. To this day? To this day. My source information, an article written by Amber Blaze for Medium Magazine, Atlas Obscura, and Wikipedia. I would like to see them today. The photos that I showed you uh, were a combination of early photos and some recent photos. And they all look black and white, but they're not really. It's just because it's a picture of a concrete floor. Oh, and maybe there's been filtering done so that you can more clearly see what's going on. Yeah, I can't really. Yeah, that makes sense. Also, did you know that if you use too much or not enough water while mixing concrete, uh, marks will appear in it? Yeah, but do the marks look like a young Danny Trejo? (laughs) I think not, my good lady. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids. And they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child. And she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off 
plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code oddities at checkout. And you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now, that thing in the middle. Unconsciously, we native English speakers say adjectives preceding nouns in a very specific order. Opinion, size, age, shape, color, origin, material, and purpose. And that's why saying old red wooden door sounds pretty normal. But wood red old doors sounds weird. As we've just wrapped up the year, we're seeing a lot of those Spotify wrapped things. And we've talked a little bit about some people reaching out and saying, this is how many minutes of Boo I have listened to this year. And you all blow my mind, by the way. I I love you so much. Sarah reached out on Instagram and shared her wrapped 17,349 minutes listening to Box of Oddities in 2022. Let's do the math. 17,000 how much? 17,349 minutes. That's 289 hours divided by 24. Yeah, that's 12 days. Jeez Louise. 12.4, actually. Nonstop listening. We really appreciate that, Sarah. That's remarkable. Remember the episode I talked about uh, the uh, copyright towns that they put on maps to trick people that were trying to steal their their map designs? I love that idea. It's like when I make memes, I always hide something in there. What do you hide? My initials. You do? Mm Mm-hmm. Maria writes, just listen to Box 497 Jethro discussing the origin of Aglo, New York. 
I had a fantastic boo effect. This is just one of numerous I've experienced uh, while listening to the podcast. I recently finished the novel The Cartographers by Peng Shepard. It's a fiction novel where the main character's adventure resides in the town of Aglo, New York. And it even discusses the town's creation as a copyright tool. I highly recommend the novel. That sounds so fun. Thanks for the wonderful podcast. Keep flying that freak flag, Maria. Thank you, Maria. You're the best. And well read. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at ConstantPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. When all the other podcasts get together at a dinner party, we're the podcast that sits with our legs crossed by the fireplace and listens politely. This is The Box of Oddities. I was reading this article on GoldenGateAudubon.com that said, We all learned in high school that Carl Linnaeus invented binomial nomenclature in the 1700s. We all learned that? Did we? Did we all learn that? (laughs) I must have been out that day. But in all fairness, I skipped a lot. That's true. Me too. Um, This gave a Latinized genus species to every organism. Um, Again, I do not recall covering that. But uh, Carl... Sea Dog, as we call him, was a Swedish botanist, a zoologist, a taxonomist, and a physician, and his work marks the starting point of consistent use of binomial nomenclature. Which is what? It's a formal system of naming species by giving them a name composed of two parts, specific and generic, and they're usually like Greek or Latin. Okay, okay, Like gotcha. the whole Homo sapien. Australopithecine giganticus. Felinus caticus. You know what I'm mm-hmm. talking about. Mm-hmm. I do. I don't know if that's right. 
Ornithology.com gives the mallard as an example. Anas platyrrhynchos is the scientific name for the mallard. Anas, meaning the, the genus for Latin, is duck, and it indicates that the mallard is related to other ducks, such as the pintail, the godwall, and the black duck. It's pronounced anus. Yes. Platyrrhynchos is Greek for flat bill, referring to the typical duck-like bill. In the United States, the American Ornithological Society, formerly the American Ornithological Union, and still usually referred to as the AOU, maintains and occasionally will reassess the taxonomy of bird species in North America. And since 1895, the International Commission on Zoological Nomenclature has been the primary body for assigning scientific names to animals. I don't think it's pronounced anus. Think about, you know, so many things living on this planet and the fact that there are multiple common names for them. And for so many reasons, you know, from region to region, we might call a specific animal something, but... In a more southern part of the country, they'd call it something else. Or, you know, regionally, that happened all the time. And that's confusing. And we have to be able to consistently differentiate between species. And that's where these systems and organizations come into play. Though there are those that contest that some take this too seriously. The AOU uses a detailed protocol to determine the naming and the spelling, as well as the capitalization and hyphenation of both formal and common names. So there are years where you'll see like a bird called the black-tailed thrush, and it's black-tailed for years and years and years. But then one year they're like, you know what, we should really adjust this so it's black-tailed whatever the fuck I just said, because of such and such a reason. And they're just constantly reassessing, like, is this the best way to describe this animal or plant or snail or whatever it is? The committee weighs evidence, including plumage variations, difference in songs, DNA, the amount of hybridization between closely related species. It's important work and it's serious work. And sometimes it's fucking hilarious. I mean, we've all heard of funny bird names. I'm still chuckling about Annas. <laughs> I mean, in my head, not, not out loud. That would be rude. Of course. You're familiar with the blue-footed booby. Yes. <laughs> That's a Galapagos bird, right? It certainly is. But there are several types of boobies, and they're all good boobies. All boobies are good. The satanic nightjar. <laughs> Also known as Heinrich's Nightjar, the Diabolical Nightjar, and the Devilish Nightjar. Though a lot of the bird's advocates prefer the name Satanic because it, they believe that it will draw more attention to conservation interests in the bird because he is threatened. And they think, well, if we call him the Satanic Nightjar, more people will be interested. Now that's proper aviatory marketing. Absolutely. But his scientific name... Eurostopidus diabolicus, not that fun. <laughs> then there's the fluffy-backed tit-babbler. The fluffy-backed tit-babbler. Yes, with a hyphen between fluffy and backed. Well, of course. He's found in Brunei, Indonesia, Malaysia, and Thailand. He's a beautiful bird, sadly, though, threatened by habitat loss. And his scientific name, Macronus telosus, nothing really to speak of. The dick sissel. <laughs> <laughs> this bird is named Dick Sissel uh, because of his call. 
he's all like, dick, dick, sis, 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 dick, dick, sis, 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 dick, sizzle. Spiza Americana, common name, much more fun than his scientific name. Then there's the caca, the hoary puff leg, the perplexing scrub wren, <laughs> which to me <laughs> sounds like a Monty Python sketch. <laughs> like Coming round the bend, the perplexing scrub wren. Followed closely by Arthur Tushed's Jackson. Though sometimes it is the scientific name that gives us the chuckles. Turtus Maximus, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not. <laughs> Is Biggest Dickus one too? Speaking of Monty Python. The Tibetan blackbird, Boring, is a high elevation loving bird found in the Himalayas from northern Pakistan to southeastern Tibet. Turtus is Latin for the bird that we generally will call the thrush. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, he's like the biggest one. So he's the Turtus Turtus Maximus. Maximus. There's also a Turtus Migratorius. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. I don't want any part of that. Thank you. The rufous-sided warbling finch. Lovely bird, I'm sure. But with the scientific name, Puspiza hypochondria, mm-hmm. it certainly seems like there might be something going on there. Mm-hmm. Hypochondria comes from the Greek word for under the ribs, which is actually where this lovely bird has some red markings. Puspiza, however, breaks down <laughs> with spiza being ancient Greek for finch and poo meaning grass. <laughs> so, okay. Puspiza, otherwise known as the wattled crane. The bugger anus gets its name... (laughs) Is it anus or anus? ...from the Greek word (laughs) for ox and crane. But if you don't know Greek, bugger anus is pretty unfortunate. Okay. (laughs) Mm, The bugger anus. Yeah. All right, I'm okay. Some other names that are, are maybe aren't as buggery anusy as these, but are still notable, I think, are the Cannabis Blythe and Papa Rickenbach, which I think is a wonderful name for a bird. And even if it's not the same species, if you get a bird, you should name him Papa Rickenbach. That's, that sounds like a hip-hop artist, doesn't it? Yeah. Papa Rickenbach. Something that I found that I felt was very important for everyone to know is that if you have enough money, there are sometimes opportunities to pay an institution or charity to allow you to choose names for a species. According to Smithsonian, the Scripps Institution on Oceanography offered naming rights for several ocean species, starting at the rock bottom price of $5,000. Okay. And you can just name it whatever you want. I mean, I'm sure they have veto power, but... I, most, peop, most people named things after themselves or loved ones, but you could just do whatever you wanted. Sure, sure. Maybe we could finally get Bodie McBoatface. I would want to choose something just completely random, like stipend Hamburglicus. I don't know. Or just an incredibly long, random string of words, like ham sandwich rubber McFisheries underwear, geriatric, curvaceously mucking squirrels with nipples and tiptoe rusting machinery. Ickis. Or steer. Or steer. Look what I can do. 
Big thanks to Clark, who sent me uh, an incredible list of funny bird names. And uh, <laughs> I got my information from the aforementioned sources, as well as birdsandblooms.com, eBird, Board Panda, and Mental Floss. Special thanks to our latest, newest members of the Order of Freaks on Patreon. Kelly, Melanie, Stephanie, Matthew, Jay, Jay Bash, Ron, Brittany, and other Stephanie. Oh my gosh, we appreciate you all so much. If you want to become a member of the Order of Freaks, support the Box of Oddities. You get ad-free episodes, you get bonus episodes, you get Zoom meetings every month, lots of other cool stuff. Go to our website, theboxofoddities.com, and the link is right there. And we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2023 All rights reserved If you like this podcast Can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.